title of the message this morning is The Fight of Our Lives. The Fight of Our Lives. Now, I like to think about this here because I get it reading this like there's some wild things that are being said here. And all of us have probably had some kind of experience with darkness at some level. And I get it that we make uh, characters and cartoons of, of the powers of darkness. I get that. But all of us maybe had some kind of story, some kind of experience. I like to share you my story. My first story that, that kind of unpacked all of this for me. So I was in India and I was on a mission trip there for 17 days. And while I was there, we were going out into these villages and we were doing health clinics, kind of surgical clinics. We would do it in the evenings and we would do it in during the day and, the, and into the evenings. And then we would end up in the bush in some remote places. I mean, way out there. So we're in the bush in India. Uh, we're getting ready to do this meeting then. There was maybe uh, a space about this large with about a couple hundred people like we are here this morning. And so I was going to speak that evening. And there was one little light bulb hanging down for a couple hundred at least 200 people or so, they were going to sit on the ground there in the bush in India, and I was going to share with them. And so I was standing here getting ready to talk, and on my right was my interpreter, whose name was Bezwada Jacob. So there was Jacob there, and then on the left was the rest of the people that were on the team there, maybe a little bit of a distance from me. And so so Jacob said, go ahead and, and do the opening prayer. Greet them and do the prayer. And so I would, I would talk and he would interpret for me. Well, as soon as I said in my prayer, I said, Jesus, the name, I heard the most loud uh, blood-curdling screams I had ever heard in my life that a human could never produce. So if you can imagine these screams coming out, I said, Jesus, before he can interpret, these massive screams all over, and then bodies are falling to the ground, and I hear violent commotion everywhere, but I can't see very good. And so I was freaked out. I was shocked. I didn't know what was happening. And so I looked at Jacob like, what's going on here? And, uh, and so Jacob, Jacob said to me with the most nonchalant, matter of fact, no big deal. This happens all the time. He says, it's just the demons coming out. Just like that. It's just the demons coming out. Like, this happens every day, just the demons coming out. So I was standing there, I'm like, oh, just the demons coming out. You know, I was like, okay, like, just the demons. So I, I turned to my, to my team, and my team is like freaked out, like I was freaked out. So I just decided to kind of mirror Jacob, and I said, hey, just the demons coming out. <laughs> and so the fight of our lives, we're going to talk about three things this morning. We're going to talk about the enemy, and it's real. If there's anything I could just say, hey, this is real, what we're talking about. And so there's the enemy who is real. Then we're going to talk about the resources that God has given us to fight the enemy. The, the gear that you have that you could walk out with this morning. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the prayer that goes along with the gear to fight the enemy there. And so if you had a drone view of the Apostle Paul, there he is hostage in prison there from Rome, writing to Ephesus there. And so he's going to talk about now some principles that he's seen, um, that he's going to illustrate from the Roman guards that have been guarding him and that he's seen pretty much every day and seen all their equipment 
equipment and their gear and their uniform. And he's going to talk about how that relates then to the Christian life. So it says in verse 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so at the end of Ephesians, Paul says, hey, I'm not done. I'm not, I've got, I know I've given about five pages here, but there's a final word. I've got more to give you here. He's saying, look, I got a final word for the whole church, not just the teenagers or the children or the husbands or the wives. The mar- This is for everybody, the whole church here. He says, look, one last word said, I want to let you know what you're going to be facing when you walk out of their church to the church then and the church here. He says, I want you to know what you will be facing here. For five pages, I've told you that when you give your life to God, he puts his spirit within you and you keep on being filled with God's spirit. I told you you've been adopted into God's family, that you are his sons and you are his daughters. I've told you how you have this new identity and you're to sing a new song. I've told you that God has given you every spiritual blessing that there is to be given. And that when you take Christ in your life, he changes everything. It's a new day. I've told you that when you become a Christ follower, it'll change how you relate to your spouse, how you love your spouse. It'll change husbands. It'll change wives. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your sexuality. He said, look, I've talked to you how dads will be different. It'll change the way that you work. But there's one more thing. I'm not done here. He says, so finally, here it is. Be strong in the Lord. Translation. You need God's strength because yours is not enough. Yours is not enough to live this life here and to engage in the kind of battles that you will. So the only way to be strong is that you would be strong in Christ here. My personal experience is that in my own strength, I tap out quickly there. And so he says, and in his mighty power. In other words, your human strength is not enough, but God gives you his strength for this life. So the power from up there is enough for you to live your life down here, whatever you would face. And so he says in your notes there, spiritual battles require spiritual strength. That God can transfer his strength to you because of the battle that, that you're in. And we're going to unpack that here this morning. And so the battle for your decisions, the battle for your future, the battle for your home, the battle for maybe your education, the battle for your career, for your kids, for your marriage, for your purity, for living this life, you need his strength. And so that's why it says the strength is in Christ. Verse 11 says, now... What do you do? Put on all of God's armor that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. There's a lot there. So in your notes, again, spiritual battles require spiritual clothing, spiritual armor or a spiritual suit there, the appropriate attire for what you're going to engage in spiritually. So he says, stand firm. Now he says this three times. Verse 13, verse 14 here, and verse 11, he's talking about standing firm. So there's a point here that he says, look, I want you to stand firm. I don't want you to cave in. I don't want you to run. All of, for all the armor, there was nothing to protect the backside. Don't run. Stand firm there. He says, don't go anywhere. He says, don't jump ship because of what's happening all around you here. He says, look, finally, 
Here's what you need to know. You got to stand firm because there's a real enemy out there. And the real enemy wants to kick your butt, wants to come after you, wants to destroy you, wants to ruin you. So you've got to learn to stand and not run. Don't give up here. So he said, look, stand firm. Why? Because the powers of darkness is the devil. There's all these strategies to ruin you, to destroy you. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, don't be ignorant about all of his devices. The inference is, and you are ignorant, you don't know. And so Paul says here to the church at Ephesus, stand firm against all the strategies. Watch, what's his strategy? His methodology. You mean he has a, me- yes, a methodology that he has. A plan of action that I would say is a brilliant plan of action. It's used for evil, but it is brilliant because of its success rate. There's a game plan there to wreck your life. And so a time-tested scheme for your downfall. And so the devil would love to keep you duped, would love to keep you deceived and thinking that he is just like this. So I thought I would illustrate this this morning here because he would love to keep us duped into thinking that this is all that he is. And so hope I can get this on right. And so that, you know, we have this. <laughs> Come on, baby. Put your phones away. Put your phones away. So I don't care. You take my picture. It doesn't matter. So he would love to keep us thinking like this, that he's just this dummy with, you know, this, this a fork here that uh, is kind of like a cartoon and the red cape here and all and the horns and all that. And as long as he can keep you thinking about this mentality, he has you right where he wants you. Got you right where he wants you. Because you know what? When you think, when you think this, you never take him serious. You never recognize his power. You never recognize his methodology and his schemes and, and his, uh, his plans there. And so it says here, finally stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. In other words, there's a plurality of strategies to destroy you. A plurality. And you think you got one licked? No, he's got another one and another one and another one here. And so he says, all the strategies, plural, of the devil. So he's got lies there. He's the master of lies. He leaves a lie in your heart. That's who he is. He will lie in your heart and he tempts you. And then you, when you're tempted, then you participate in your own self-destruction. And then after that, when you, when you are a part of your own self-destruction, then what he does is he accuses you. See there, what are you doing in church here this morning? Who do you think that you are there? And then there's a shame and the guilt and he tempts you. Okay. And then his MO is deception and trickery. And so uh, what he does, he wants to trap you. And he runs a successful operation. This is what we need to see. He runs a successful operation here. And then like this, this is what he does. When, you, when you're engaged in a fight, okay, you're engaged in a fight. And you, then the bell rings. And you're walking back to your corner. This is what he's like. He would come after you when you're walking back in the corner. And he doesn't fight fair. And he would sucker punch you from the back. And, you know, that's how he fight. He's, he is a, a one who uses immense 
tactics of deception there. And so it says, let us not be ignorant of his strategies, okay, because we tend to be. And so his MO, there is lying, trickery, deception here. And verse uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with the evil schemes, the ignorant, uh, don't be ignorant of his devices here. And so that's what you're up against. So what are you going to do then? Verse 12, Paul says, finally, let me tell you about the enemy that you're up against when you leave church today. So I'm going to tell you about the enemy that you're going to face when you leave church today. And here is the enemy that you will face. Verse 12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. I would just like to ask you a simple question this morning. Is there anything that you're against? Four times here, one verse, he says against, 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 against. And so he's saying this, look, don't be naive. Don't be naive to the reality of the battle. Don't be naive about that. See, and we may be naive. You can be as naive as you want to be. But think about this. Regardless of how naive we want to be and pretend it's not there, and I don't know if I want to get into all of that, no matter how naive we are, we're not immune okay, to the consequences of the battle. We're not immune. We can't escape that. We can't escape the consequences of the, the battle here. And, so, and I get it. I get it. I know it's like, it's a wild verse. It's a super wild verse. And I get it also that in culture, we try to minimize this. We try to make, you know, it's just the, uh, it's just the, it's just the cartoon. It's all it is. It's just, it's just a cartoon. Let's not take this stuff too serious here. It's just a fictitious cartoon here. Don't think they're real. I'm telling you, it's real. And so people, he says here, are not your ultimate enemy. He says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, your ex is not your enemy. He's saying here that <laughs> you wanted to laugh, but you didn't know whether or not to laugh there. Your enemy is not a family member. Your enemy is not your professor. Your enemy in school. Your enemy is not the business partner. Not your coworker. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not a person there. The enemy, he says here, is not people that you see. Now let's think about this. And you really got to focus and concentrate for a few minutes here to really grasp this. Because make no mistake about it, he's saying that people are not the problem. He's saying that there's something behind the problem, principalities and powers. And we're going to make the connection here so we can see this. So we can understand this, this battle here. He's saying, look, there are two worlds that you live in. There is a physical world which you see, and he's saying there's a spiritual world which you don't see. He said in the physical world that we live in here, and then there's a world behind that world, a spiritual world that is just as real as the world that you see, though you don't see it. And the fight originates and emanates from the spiritual realm of darkness and comes to expression in the physical world. You see, in the spiritual world that we cannot see influences the physical world that we do see. 
He's saying here that if you're unaware, unaware of this unseen world, you're at a distinct disadvantage because you're going to be fighting a battle and you don't even understand the fight. So he's unpacking this for us here where he says, look, this is how it works. This is how the world works. He said, look, we spend all of our time and all of our energy and all of our effort and all of our strength dealing with all of the problems only at a physical level when he's saying that, oh, but there's a whole nother level. There's a spiritual level affecting this level. And so he says, you have to go back to the origin of the problem. Our battle is not just against people, physical, at this level. So what he's saying here is that you've got to stop looking just at the surface here and realize that first and foremost, everything that happens in a physical realm is influenced by another realm here. The origin of the problem is more than merely physical. See, if all you see is what you see, then you're not seeing all there is to be seen. You're just seeing at one level here. And so Paul wants us, Paul needs our consent here. He needs our consent because everything else we're going to talk about doesn't really make sense unless we consent to this point right here. And see, so to continue the conversation, he needs us to, to, to recognize in your notes there and acknowledge there is an unseen adversary. There's an unseen adversary. And we cannot consent to the battle of an unseen world, then doesn't make a whole lot of sense to continue here. And so let me put it this way. Let me give you another way to think about this, to think about this. Okay, so imagine there is, there is a, a, an army, there is a battle, and in the battle what happens? You have those that are taken captive. In the scriptures, people are called uh, captives. So you have a battle now, and in the battle, the, the one, the captor then uh, has all of the captives that are under their jurisdiction, under their power, under their authority. What it's saying here is, is that the battle now, it's not just with the captives, not just with the captives. The battle is with the captor, the powers and principalities that influence the captives at that level there. And so if we can grasp that, then the rest of this makes more sense here. And so the war is against the unseen captors who are influencing the captives, is what he's saying here. We battle not against just flesh and blood. And so let me, let me expand here on the description of the captor. Thank you for listening. I realized that you really had to focus to grasp that, and for really, you, you got it. And so here's a description of the captor, okay, who takes captives, and it's d- described in a, in a more graphic way. First Peter 5, 8, the scripture's on the screen if you want to look, look there. It says this, for your enemy, the devil here, and how is he described? How is the enemy described? Slivers around like a snake looking for someone to bite. Is that how it's described? Is that, is that what he's like? Is that what he's like? No, no. Okay, let's try again. For your enemy, the devil, roams around like a coyote, howling in the night to terrify you. Is that, of all the ways he could describe him, is that way the, the devil is described? No. How many people hate coyotes, by the way? You hate coyotes, two people? I hate coyotes because they killed two, two cats. I hate coyotes. Anyway, so your enemy, the devil, prowls or plays. No, prowls around like a lion 
No, no. Like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him. There it is again. Stand firm in your faith. So of all the options, he's not a lion, but he's like a lion here. Watch this. Watch. Watch. He's all about carnage. He's like a carnage machine. And this is what you've got to get in your head right now. It's like he's like a carnage machine that would come after you. That's how he's described here. And so did you know that a lion, an adult lion, when they like bring down an elephant or a water buffalo, an adult lion can consume 75 pounds of raw flesh in one sitting. That's pretty gross, isn't it? But that's, it's gross. But that just shows the, the, the massive um, uh, carnage capacity of a lion. And that's what is coming after us, Paul says here. And so you have a real enemy that is bent, bent on devouring you here. And so the apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus and to us, in light of that, therefore, put on every piece of armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy, what? In a time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Saying, look, you're in a war zone. You're in a spiritual war zone. And I've got a concern for you. And the concern is this. The concern is the evil day. Not just the normal rough day, take a few hits day. I'm concerned, he says, for the church about the evil day. It says a time of evil. Some of your translations read an evil day. So more than just the regular adversity that you experience there, he's saying, look, there will be an evil day that descends upon you. An evil day here. This is where you feel like, oh man, I'm under attack. I feel like all hell is breaking loose. It feels like the spiritual forces of evil are just being, just being released onto me this day here. See, the enemy, there's an evil day where the enemy then, he says, launches an offensive. And so he says, that maybe it's to destroy your marriage. Maybe it's to discourage your dream. To just to give up there, to unravel, and where you just feel oceans of, of heartache there over what's happened. Nothing seems like your story is nothing is going right. That's you. Perhaps you just want to give up. You want to give up on God. Perhaps it's an evil day. Perhaps it's what he's talking about here. And so what do you do here? He says, God then has provided a way, real gear. Not just theory, but this is reality here that works in, the, in the, the nasty here and now of the trenches of life. So he says because there's a real enemy, you got to put on, put on all the armor. Now notice he instructs us to put it all on. Implying this, that there's armor, and I'm going to illustrate the armor for you. Okay, I'm going to talk about this in just a sec. So this will be part of the armor here, okay? The breastplate of righteousness, okay? There's part of the armor. And so it says you got to put on the armor every day. And so there's this armor, and it would be a great benefit to me. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes, this piece of the armor. But I've got a choice whether or not to put that on. I can choose to leave that right there. And all the benefits of the armor of God, all the resources that are here that would benefit me may not benefit me if I don't put this on. So I'm going to talk about six parts of the armor. And I'd just like to ask you as we're going through this, am I actually, am I actually putting the armor on? Because I have a choice. He says, put on the all. You don't, wake with it on. you don't wake up every day with it on. So he's instructing us here. And so though God gives it to you, 
He doesn't force you to put this on. You've got a choice. There's an option there. And so what he's saying here is put on the armor. You've got to access your spiritual resources that God has given you. Are you accessing them? Maybe the fact that you're not accessing them is, is, explains your life here this morning. And so, uh, so he says, put on. You got to do it yourself every day. The story of a, a, an American bodybuilder who went to Africa. True story here. And this guy's Mr. Mr. Beast mode, Mr. Buffed out. He's got muscles on top of muscles. And so he goes back into the, to the tribe there in the bush in Africa. And so he kind of does his thing and starts flexing, you know, and doing all the stuff that they do there with his massive muscular body. That wasn't funny, by the way, when I was imitating that. That was not funny. That was not a joke. And so, so and they're just like in awe. They're like, oh, what's up? Look at this. They'd never seen anything of it. Muscles just rippling on top of muscles. So when he was all done, the tribal chief said to him, I have never seen such muscles on a man before. He said, it is absolutely amazing. He said, what else do you do with your muscles? And he said, nothing. And the tribal leader said, what a waste of all your muscles. And the apostle Paul is saying, God has given you armor, but are you wasting the armor? All that he has given you. And so in your notes there, spiritual battles require that you get on all the gear. The armor of God has been given to equip us, okay, and has been given so that we can win, so we can be victorious, so we can be triumphant, so that we're not defeated. And the battle that you're engaged in requires that you put on the armor. Are you putting on the armor is my question here. So it's absolutely critical to know and to understand and to utilize the armor that we're going to talk about here this morning that God has given to you. You just need to access it here. So in 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul takes another slice at it and it says, the weapons that we fight, okay, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, God gives us divine power to bring down strongholds, to demolish strongholds. And so the armor there is given that we could survive and we could win. Verse 14, here it is. Here's the resources that God gives you, the gear to outfit you for the battle so you can win. Verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And so the first thing he talks about is putting on this belt of, of truth here, this leather belt. They would have tunics and all that. And I don't want to get too into it, but sometimes you're trying to battle and fight with all this flowing garments that they would wear then. It just wouldn't work. So you had to strap yourself up, hold everything together. They could put their daggers and some different things in it, like a police belt there. You know, they put their little coffee in their police belt and all like they do. But, and so he's got, and also it would have a large portion here that would protect you. The belt of truth that would protect your lower abdomen from a lethal attack there. And so the idea here is spiritual, spiritual battles require the belt of truth here. And so what, what is the practical implication of this? Well, truth would be this. Truth is God's view on any subject. That is truth here. Everybody's got their opinion, but God has truth on any subject here. And so 
Um, how we put the belt of truth on then is knowing God's truth, which protects you, okay, knowing the scripture, what it says. So know the truth, watch, okay, and the truth penetrates every part of your life and protects you even in your most vulnerable areas to an attack, an attack that are against you. It protects you against the lies that otherwise you would be susceptible. Lies that get into your mind. Lies that you're not good enough. Lies that you can't do it. Lies that you can't follow Christ. Lies that you're not going to amount to anything. All these lies that come to you. But you've got to put on the belt of God's truth here that can protect you from those things. That, again, the intention, the lies are intended to destroy you. And so spiritual battles, secondly, require God's righteousness. And so I'm going to illustrate it this way by putting this on. By the way, this is from the CHP. And this is from the CHP of someone that attends Sanctuary Church. And we love the police department. We love our first responders. We love them. So when I was thinking about this, I asked him if I could borrow this. And so here it is. This is what you get paid the big bucks for, everybody. This is what you get paid. So, and so here it is. Okay, in our context here, here's a breastplate that protects me. Protects me. These, these uh, are designed also to take bullets, a blow. Now, I can take a blow to the arms, right? And I can survive. You can hit me in my legs here. I can survive. You hit me here and I'm gone. You hit me here, I'm gone. Okay, so, th- so think about this. It says the breastplate of righteousness and what, it, what is the righteousness that we're talking about here? Okay, just living right in the sight of God. Now, God imputes to us his righteousness, and, so, and we live right before him here. And so watch, right living leads to protection. When you, if I have an attitude like this, nah, live however I want to live. No, don't tell me how to live. I can sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I can put in my body whatever I want to put in my body. Don't tell me. Don't tell me how to, how to, what am I doing? Okay, I am then making myself unprotected because I want to blow that whole thing off. Remember it said, you got to put this on. You got a choice whether you want to put that on. Put on the breastplate of right living there. It will protect you. And so, in other words, living inside this space here, the boundaries of the loving boundaries, loving limitations of what God says, look, I want to bless you, but you got to live within the space of the, of the loving boundaries that I've given you here. And so obedience to God, just living like right before him, upright, that's a righteous life there. That protects you there. So, because when we sin, when we disobey God, when we take off God's protection, then we're vulnerable to the enemy there. And so, think of a, a, a warrior there fighting, and he, and he took off his breastplate, of, uh, his breastplate there. He, he was a, a sitting duck. And that's what it's saying here. And so, God's righteousness literally, it literally protects your heart. It is in your best interest to live right for God there. So verse 15, often overlooked here. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. You can think of it as boots here. And so I just want to ask you a question. We were going to have a, a battle and uh, one of the troops got boots and the other troop got flip-flops. We'll call them the flip-flop brigade. Who do you think is going to win? And you can stamp on people's feet. Who do you think is going to win? 
See, the flip-flops of chaos and, and, and anxiety and stress or the gospel boots of peace. Who's going to win? Okay, and so it is in your best interest to, to think about this here, about this peace that God wants to give you. And so spiritual battles require the gospel is good, is good news, the boots of good news. And so when you embrace Christ, he gives you the peace of God. It says, passes all understanding. And there you are, you're doing life peace with God. You're engaging in battles. You've got his peace. Wherever you go, wherever the boots go, wherever these boots go, okay, you take with you, you take with you the, the peace of the gospel of good news here. And saying, look, this is part of the spiritual battle often overlooked. In that day, their shoes would give them traction and, and they could uh, 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 be able to plant their feet to be able to fight. So shoes were very important. And then he says in verse 16, um, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the devil. But how many of us have had days like that, have days like that, where it feels like there are flaming arrows everywhere? You've had days like that. And maybe in every way you've failed, in every mistake you've ever made, it's just raining down on you. It's just raining down on you. And your sky, your personal sky, is filled with flaming arrows. Perhaps, perhaps it could be an attack. Sometimes it's decisions that we make. But what do you have to do? It says in your notes, spiritual battles require faith to make it through here. And so there are those days there where uh, you need to have your faith, the shield of faith. Now interesting, the flaming uh, arrows there, they would ignite those shields of faith, and they were made of wood. And if, the wood, if it was dry wood, when that arrow hit it, it would blow it up. Just blow it up. Some of the arrows had, had um, uh, flammable material throughout the length of the arrow. So when it struck on impact, it would blow up that wooden shield there. And so what they would do then is they would take their shields, and they would soak them in water before the battle. And that way, and th- in fact, when the Bible says here, hold up the shield of faith, to stop, the actual word in the Greek language is water. You've got to water your faith. Your faith gets dried out and parched. You've got to water your faith. So then when you, you, can, you can engage in the battle, but I think too many people, they're, they're not really watering their faith here. And so he wants to empower you to defend yourself with a shield of faith there. And so where you're dramatically empowered and you can stand against these fiery darts, the assaults of the enemy there. And when you do that, when your shield is water, then your, your shield is impenetrable. And so this is what he's talking about here. And so water literally means, or stop literally means water soaked. You've got to soak your shield in the water of God's word here. So spiritual battles require a shield of faith. Faith, it says faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith is increased. Faith is watered by the word. Like this morning, Your faith is being watered. So you can raise your shield there, verse 17. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice it says, it doesn't say, put on salvation as your hat. As a little flimsy hat there, no. It says, look, in warfare, there's these massive missiles being shot at your head there, launched at your head. Do you really want a hat or do you want want a helmet? How many people want a helmet? 
I mean, if I'm in battle, this is riot gear from our police friend. I'm like, come on, baby, bring it on, you know? Come on, bring it on, man. This is like, you could fight with this baby here. And so it says, look, there's the powers of darkness that want to rule your mind here. They want to rule your emotions. They, and there's times you're going to get rattled. There's times you're going to get attacked. You're going to get hit. But you're going to, it says you're going to take blows to the head. You can take blows to the head in the Christian life here. And so what does every good soldier need but a helmet to protect your mind, to protect your thinking, to protect your decision making? And so that is it right there. So one time I was in Haiti. I was in Haiti. And we were doing a meeting outdoors and there's all there's voodoo and witch doctors and it's just crazy there and so we were doing a meeting and we were walking in this group afterwards uh leaving after the meeting I, and i guess we really upset uh, the whole the whole town the whole uh, community there so it's dark and it's kind of rural and there's about 12 of us and we're walking back and we're in a ravine there and so there's there's a hill on one side and a hill on the other side and so we're walking back and all of a sudden i hear <laughs> And, and there are rocks being thrown. And I can hear them coming by my head. I can hear the rocks. Whoosh, whoosh. I go, oh, this is serious, you know. And there's a girl. Uh, first thing I thought, like, oh, this is what it must have been like, the Apostle Paul. I really had that thought. And I thought, you idiot, you're going to get killed, you know. And so um, there's a girl right next to me. And she gets hit. She gets hit. And she goes down. I'm hearing rocks flying by my head. And I can't see anything because it's dark. And you know what I did instinctively? Instinctively, this is what I did. With one hand, I went to pick her up like this. And I'm not joking. The other hand, I'm not kidding. I'm dead serious. The other hand, I put the Bible on my head like this. See, it's a helmet. It's to protect you. It's a helmet of salvation. And, um, and I got out of there alive. You know, I could hear the rocks going by my head, but I had the helmet of salvation on. And so, anyway, so what he's saying here is this. saying, look, God's word, it's like a helmet that you put on that protects you. Protects you against the violent rocks of the enemy that are going to be thrown at you. Rocks of thought being launched at your head there. And so, you need protection. I can tell you this morning, there are people here this morning, your mind is not protected. It's just not. And your mind needs to be protected. And the scriptures renew your mind here. And then the last thing uh, Armourly talks about is a sword, the sword of the spirit that would look something like this. The sword of the spirit. And he says, which is, which is the word of God. So notice there's only one. Everything else is defensive. Now we're talking offense, baby. Now we're talking offense. And the offense there, he says, the sword of the spirit that you battle with in this battle, okay, is the word of God. And so how is it then that the scriptures are a sword and how do you get this sword in your hand? I'm going to tell you how you get the sword in your hand here because you need this weapon. You're transformed by the scriptures here. You're equipped by it. So here's how you get it. Number one is you have to receive, you have to receive the scriptures like we're doing this morning. How this becomes this, is that you first of all have to receive this. You receive the scriptures, then the next thing that you do, okay, you're receiving it this morning, but you're not necessarily reading it, okay, so then another level there, another thing to do, is you just want to read it. Just let it speak to you. Sometimes you don't understand it. That's okay. It'll get through. So then the next thing you do, you want to get the sword, you want to get this sword in your hand, 
You receive it, you read it, but then you got to reflect on it. You got to reflect on it and think, now, now what, is that, what is that saying to me? What is, what is God speaking to me? So you're reflecting on it. And while you're doing this, while you're doing this, you are grasping, you are getting this sword in your hand. And then the last thing you do is you respond to it. And it says something, you're like, ah, that's for me. See, that's how you're, you're actually getting the sword of the Spirit in your very hand there. And so this is uh, what he says here. And then lastly, and I close with this, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit at all times and on all occasions. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So let me tie this together. Heard about all this armor? Yeah, that's cool. I probably, I probably need, to, I need to do that. I need to put that armor on there. Yeah, I need to do that. And then he says, without skipping a beat, his butt, this happens in the context, context of prayer. Okay, it's not separate. It's, it's all connected. It's all related here. He says, pray in the Spirit. It's right in the next, right in the next thought there. Pray in the Spirit. There he says, look, in other words, you're in a battle. You've got to call on God to intervene. When he says, at all times, he's not speaking about there's two words in Greek for time, chronos and kairos. He's not talking about chronos, which is time, days, months, just general time. He's not talking about that. He's talking about at all kairos, certain times, like we just talked about, the evil day is a kairos. There are certain times where, you, yeah, you pray, but oh, there's, there's opportune times where you've got, you must pray. Don't miss the kairos time that you have to pray here. So he's saying, look, you've got to call on God to intervene in your situation. In other words, prayer means, in our context here, contacting God, contacting the invisible spiritual realm there and bringing it to expression in the physical, visible realm. Prayers engaging, engaging God in heaven there to intervene what is happening on earth. To intervene what is happening in your life on earth there. It says, pray at all kairos times there. Specific, opportune times, an evil day time, concentrated prayer so God can intervene when Everything is just going sideways in your life. Hell's breaking loose. You know, that's a Kairos time there. You've got to pray there. Kairos prayer. Time to get specific. And so now there are certain times where it requires that all of God's power is really brought to bear in my life. It's critical there. Those windows, those intersections uh, that are so vital. And he says, pray in the spirit. In other words, not just random, rote, whatever, uh, routine, half-hearted, half-baked prayers. No, in the Spirit. Call on God spiritually. Call on Him. Praying what God said. Bringing the, the Spirit into your prayer. Remember Ephesians 5.18, that you are being continually filled. This is praying in the Spirit. And then he says, persistent in your prayer. Not treating prayer like, you know, the national anthem, we hear it and then we kind of go on with the game that, that had nothing to do with the game and dear God, bless me and has nothing to do with your real life. No, he's saying be persistent in your prayer. In your notes, spiritual battles require communication with command. Commun I need constant communication with headquarters because the reality is I'm in a war. And lastly, he says, stay alert, stay alert. Translation, Pray with your eyes open. Pray with your eyes open. Remember what he said in 1 Peter 5, 18. He goes about as a roaring lion. You know when lions roar? They roar 
Before they get to pray or after they get to pray? After they destroy you. That's like a victory cry of roaring. So he says, look, keep your eyes open because the devil is going about like a roaring lion, but he's not going to roar. He's not going to tell you he's coming until he's, until he's done you in. And so he says, keep your eyes open. Be spiritually open to what is going on around you and be wise. And so that's it. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a, a God who's given us a way that we can win in the war that we're in. I pray you'd bless this church, bless these people in Jesus' name.